dude, listen, Rick Collins in the building. Here I am. In That's the house. my man. I first and foremost, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on for the Little Guys podcast. Love it, man. And and just shedding some knowledge and shedding Love some light it. for everybody because not only are you just a down to earth, amazing human being. Because before thank I even you. knew you practiced law, you were just a really awesome guy at the gym that yeah. pushed some fucking thank heavy you, weight. Thank you, brother. <laughs> that, that I do as best I can, no doubt. That pushed some heavy weight, and you just you had like this. Very sturdy, masculine, just awesomeness about love you, you, brother. Love you. And so I want look, dude, I love you, man. I appreciate man. you coming in. This is the second one. So this is the second. You know, the, the first one was 18 months ago. Yeah. Wow. Voice and Rizzles. Right. We're missing John Panetti. I miss John. Miss, John yeah, was supposed was right to be here there. today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I miss John. So he he'll he'll be listening in. He said that he was gonna check the episode out and listen so in when, on it. So the first when we did Voice and Rizzles 18 months ago, it was like we we're kind of like at the beginning of COVID. Yeah. You know, now we're kind of at the end. So we've done sort of like the, hopefully the bookends of, of the COVID experience. I'm hoping that we're at the, I, you keep seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and right. they, they keep flicking. It's like, um, what is it? Uh, Wiley Coyote. It's like, they keep <laughs> painting a new tunnel. It's like, Oh my God, yes. we, we, we're, we're down here now. We got to keep Jesus. it going, man. Unbelievable. You saw the stuff in UK. I did. UK, yeah. that's really good. And yep. and Czech Republic. Yeah. And Starbucks dropped the vaccine mandates. Yeah. Listen, I, yeah. I, I try not to talk about that shit on the podcast because so many people are just bombarded with this shit right. all fucking day. Right. And it's it's exhausting. It's exhausting yeah. to constantly listen to it and just be like, oh, my God, we're... I, I hear it on the news. I hear it from my relative who's who's badgering me to get the booster or get the right, first shot. Like, right. whatever your standpoint is, just like, I'm. Yeah. I've been very much on the side of being pro-choice and people just express like if you want to do something right i say you want to wear 20 masks you wear 20 masks just know that you got to have that extra clearance on your face right you didn't be knocking into shit it's right. crazy <laughs> like you want to get a, a million vaccines get a million vaccines but it's like we're at we're, how many months now we're, we're at two we're at two almost like two years we're hitting almost two years now yeah. Two years yeah. of our lives yeah. that's just and the, the economic fallout has been substantial. The the personal costs in terms of addiction and and mental health issues and educational issues for kids. You know, hopefully we're getting back to you know a, a, a more normalized world again. I mean, Florida and Texas are basically normal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're like, I'm actually going to Florida tomorrow. I'm, I'm, oh, really? Yeah, I've got so a I, conference to give, so I'll be in Florida this time tomorrow. Is that the neurosport? That is the neurosport. So yeah, I, I was yeah. going to actually ask you about that. So plug that. What is that conference about so it it's, a, it's a new conference it's neurosports it's some of the same people who are involved with the international society of sports nutrition which is a a great group and as an annual conference in june have gotten together and are, are doing it and and I, my my talk is on testosterone i'm part of a panel dealing with testosterone issues and um kind of a little bit different that the topic is is sort of looking at testosterone in the context of some mental health issues, including um, muscle dysmorphia, if you know what that is, bigorexia, you know, reverse anorexia, probably half of the bodybuilders <laughs> have yes. it you yes, know, yes. to some degree. It's I think, relative. I think the fitness industry as a whole experiences Probably. that at one point. I mean, I mean they, yeah. Andre actually just talked about slightly. I mean, it was, it was like a five second clip on the podcast, but um, we talked about body dysmorphia really quickly. Did you really? Okay. And how substantial it is in the mind and how people just wind up abusing the gear because they just feel that they don't look good enough. Right. And how right. he just said, I've never been for abusing gear. I've always been for on the side of doing it safely, right. doing it the right way, and just knowing where you stand. But getting that, getting that mentality that you're good enough, like you're you're making progress. You don't have right. to just like jump, jump twenty million all in at one and just go crazy. Correct, because that's how a lot of people get hurt. 
Sure. And and it's a spectrum, I think. You know, there's you know, there there's at the at the one end of the spectrum is the guy who looks in the mirror and says, you know what, I could look better. You know, I'm not happy with the way I look. Not being happy with the way you look, not being happy about something is probably the first step you're ever going to have to changing it. Because if you're perfectly content in life with something, there's really no motivation to do anything different. So that's probably not a bad thing to to be able to say, hey, look, I'm I'm not making enough money. I'm not I don't look the way I don't have a set of abs like I would want. Uh, I would like to look better. And, and that's how you're motivated. At the other end of the extreme is the guy who looks in the mirror and he's 280 pounds of you know, 4% body fat. And he looks in the Beef. mirror and he's like, you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm scrawny. I've got no muscle. And so that's the guy who, you know, is, is a more would maybe fit the definition more of the pathology of you know, the psychopathology of muscle dysmorphia. And so we look at we've been looking at sort of these issues of obviously steroid use sometimes comes from this motivation, this muscle dysmorphia, which is a DSM mental health diagnose, diagnosed disorder for mental health. So, um, but yet, of course, the treatment for somebody with muscle dysmorphia is to convince that person you look fine as you are, even if the person maybe doesn't look so fine. Um, and obviously to give that person testosterone or any anabolic steroid is a crime because it's, it's not considered a medical need. But yet if somebody has a different diagnosis, which is a diagnosis of gender dysphoria, which is I'm not comfortable in my body based on gender issues, not based on muscle issues. So, for example, a female to male who's interested in becoming more masculine. That person, same kind of body image issue, you know, diagnosed DSM-5, um, that person is given testosterone. And that person is given the drug to help their body conform to the image of their own self-identity. It's an interesting thing. And I, I'm not saying that the two are the same or that they should be treated the same, but the disparity in treatment where one is actually, here you go, come to the doctor and get it. The other, you're getting handcuffed and you're going to prison and the doctor who prescribes it is going to prison too. You know, it, it's, it's too much of a disparity. And I don't think anybody's really looked at that or commented on it before. So that's, I'm giving a short lecture on that at, uh, at Neurosports and probably again at the Arnold because the Arnold has an educational component to it. So I'm doing a round table with uh, George Tuliatos and a few others, and then we'll do this. Uh, I'll do my own little lecture on this. So I've been lecturing a lot. Um, I'm giving a lecture at ISSN in June on um, sort of toxic masculinity. Okay. And, and Jamal, and I, Jamal and I spoke briefly about it on one of the episodes as hot well. Hot topic, yeah. right? You know, and it's, uh, could you imagine ever saying toxic femininity in no, any context? No, it wouldn't be, you, you'd, you'd canceled, be like, yeah, canceled. canceled, they'd ship you to the moon. Right. But toxic masculinity and, and sort of what is the basis for it? Is it is it a testosterone issue? Is there such a thing as testosterone poisoning? And um, does testosterone cause people to act violently or aggressively? Or is it more of status-seeking or dominance? Or does testosterone sort of make you more 
of what you already are. So uh, I'm giving a co-lecturing with this guy, Jack Darkies, who's a professor at the University of South Florida, great guy, researcher, smart addiction specialist. And so we're doing that. So it's fun stuff. That's cool. You get to like really be around some unbelievable individuals that have so many different experiences, studies, and professions, and you all get to come together and just really put your heads together and go, well, I see it from this angle, I see it from this angle, and I right. see it from the chemical angle. Like, you know, is there is there similarities? Is this the reason why and stuff like that? Right. I mean... Um, it's so cool when you can integrate different disciplines, you know? I mean, obviously, I'm primarily a lawyer, and, and I was looking at the... I took... I, I wrote some notes down. I watched Lawyers Prepare, right? Yes, So yes. 18 months ago, we sat down, we had John over there, and spent, this was a, a two hours. Fantastic episode. It was a two-hour, you know, I can't believe. Raving. I, I, I didn't have a single thank person you. say that they didn't enjoy that. It was unbelievable. And I know this thank one's going to be 10 times better, oh, too. Oh, so. thank you. Seriously. So, so, I mean, it was great. I, I enjoyed talking to both of you guys. It was, it was a great time. But we covered so much stuff from, you know, my background to how I got involved in, in being sort of fitness law and steroid law and all of that uh, to what to do if you get stopped for drunk driving to yeah, that was what a hot to do clip. when a package comes <laughs> in the mail to, you know, all of this different stuff. So it was great. And we can cover some of that as well. And I can tell some some war stories uh, as well, but um, but it was a lot of fun. So hopefully we'll have some some fun today. Too. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, and I, on the topic of the uh, gender dysphoria, right? That's the that's yes. the correct terminology yes. for it. So we had Alex on Kalinka, okay. and yep. Alex talked about everything from transitioning at a young age at around. I think I think he said that uh, he started feeling uncomfortable in his body. Now Alex was a female originally sure. and transitioned to a male, right? Um, and assigned female at birth, yes. Right. And transition to yep. a male prior to pu- puberty. Right. So uh, getting all the breast tissue out and you really – if you really didn't know, you have no idea that right. Alex used to be a female. Right. I mean it's unbelievable. Right. So, Beard. Yeah. Beard like ours. Yes, yes, yes. So it's just – it's 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 kind of a – it's kind of just a, a wild topic to, to discuss and just see because obviously, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've never had those feelings. Right. So it's it's very interesting to sit across from somebody and, and hear – them break down and discuss why they felt so uncomfortable a certain way and why now they feel so much more comfortable in their skin. I think everybody is entitled to do whatever you want to do. I think that that is the best choice for you. If you think that that's that's the right path for you, God bless, God speed, do whatever you want to do. I think the people that judge or, or uh, it's, it's like a, it's like a two, two point, I guess, method or, or message, I should say. It's like the people that judge, they either don't understand or they're actually judging because they don't like the person. Right. I think the I think it's more on the side of they just don't understand. And yeah. what they don't understand, they get confused and, right. and, and they just, and they're they, afraid they automatically right. reject it. Everybody's like, afraid of what they don't understand. Yeah. But um but yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think everybody has a right to feel comfortable in their own bodies and, and everybody should, you know. And um and certainly if, if you're uncomfortable with what you're assigned at birth, finding ways to be more comfortable if, if medical technology allows it, why not? But we certainly don't do that with respect to bodybuilders yes. who have who feel like they don't have dysmorphia. enough muscle. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, and so and maybe we shouldn't. And I'm not saying and again, I'm not equating the two, but the disparity, you know, and, and we talked last time a little bit about, you know, sort of the war on steroids thing. And, you know, for, for those who, who don't know me, you know, or didn't see the first podcast. Yeah, give the did. bio. Let's go. So just just briefly, you know, I, I started as a bodybuilder, 
you know, uh, grew up in the gyms as a personal trainer, as a bouncer. And I told some of those stories last time um, and went to law school after college, after competing in bodybuilding when I was in college and what, got involved in criminal law first as a prosecutor and then later as a criminal defense lawyer. So I developed the courtroom skills and life has a funny way of finding helping you find your way, Alanis Morissette or whatever, isn't it ironic? It sounds like the lyrics, but but it does. And so um, I had these two separate tracks, a track as a bodybuilder and a track as a trial lawyer. I didn't have any real plan or foresight that the two would merge into one, but they did because organically I gravitated toward what interested me. Which is amazing, and I want to cut you off, which is amazing because when you are able to combine your passion with your profession, uh, if it's not already, yeah. that's uh, that, not many people get to experience that. Not that's many an unbelievable do. feeling. It's a great feeling. If you can, if you can find something that you love doing and, and your passions can be something that you can actually pay the bills with, life doesn't get a lot better than that. It's, it's, it's wonderful. So, um, so I wound up just because of my background in the gym culture as a bodybuilder, competing, personal trainer, running a personal training business, ultimately when the law changed and timing is a huge factor, right? Timing is, there's a book by Malcolm Gladwell called Outliers, which is a, a great book. And it's about what makes somebody successful versus a failure. And they look at, Malcolm Gladwell looks at these different factors. You know, is it hard work? Is it who your parents are? Is it timing? Is it each chapter looks at a different factor? And he takes two people with the same factor. And one is an unbelievable success, maybe a name that you know did, did phenomenally in life. The other, miserable failure, never really amounted to anything. Same intellect same parent background, same hard work. And so he compares it. And it's the it's really the combination of a lot of these factors. And one of the main factors is timing. And I went into private practice in 1990, which was the same year that Congress criminalized anabolic steroids. Couldn't have seen it coming. Nope. Went that way. And so when the bros in the gyms, you know, the guys who were my training partners for many years or like my training partners for many years started getting questions or maybe interrogated or maybe arrested for an anabolic steroid charge, I started getting the calls. And so I wound up becoming really the only lawyer at the time who was doing really understanding from a personal perspective, the bodybuilding community, and from the legal and courtroom perspective. And so my my career went in a direction that I love what I do. Nikki, I, 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 I love what I do. You can see me at the gym. I'm in the gym regularly. That's that's part of my life. It's It's organic to who I am. And in the courtrooms, I'm able to help the people that that are spotting me, you know, as a, as a practical matter. So it's it's a very cool practice, and that's expanded a little bit. I, I have a, a nationwide practice. If if somebody is using steroids, testing positive for steroids in a drug test, either as a so professional military, athletes. professional athletes, military people, people on probation, police officers, um, if you're an underground lab, if you're selling SARMs, if you're, you get caught for 
selling chemicals for research purposes under circumstances that the government says is bogus. I'm the guy that gets those calls. I love getting those calls. Uh, I love helping people out of those problems. And I'm, I've gotten very good at it over the years because I've done so much of it and because I like doing it. And I'm one of the few criminal defense lawyers, I think, who likes my clients, you know, and, and really whose clients are by and large good people. You know, I don't, I'm at a point in my career, I don't have to represent people who are robbing or stealing or, you know, doing any of the, the things that hurt other people, either physically, economically, in, in any way. So, so it's a great practice. I also represent a lot of people in the supplement industry, in the sports nutrition industry. So, um, and I work with lawyers who do other things. My firm is in New York. We, we have a lawyer that does phenomenal guy who does personal injury cases and he caught a car accident, negligence. I don't do that. My partner does. Uh, I've got a, a lawyer that works for me that does an enormous amount of um, contract work and trademark work, intellectual property stuff. But you find what you love to do and, and you do it. So that, that's what I focus on, you know, and, and law like medicine is a, has become a somewhat, you know, specialized kind of field so that you you get really good if you concentrate in a particular area. Um, but I've gotten to go all over the country on on all over the world. I've given lectures in Bangkok, Thailand and Guangzhou, China and Canada and all around. And it's uh, where was your favorite just, to uh, visit? Asia's amazing. Asia's got some some incredible places. Um, I mean, Guangzhou, China is 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 such a you know different kind of experience. Not a lot of Caucasians there. I'm you sure. Know, I, I would think it's a huge city. It's the same size as New York City, um, but I think there I only saw maybe two other Caucasians in the whole city, and. People aren't used to you, you know. The, some people actually come up. At first, I didn't know what it was for. They hand you a camera, their, their cell phone, you know, the, as the camera, and they want you to do a selfie with them because you're like the, the American that they've never really seen before. Really? You know, I've heard stories about them handing babies <laughs> to like take a picture of, you know, a big, you know, sir, I can't hold taller your ba- than most. I, I can't hold your yes, baby. You're yes, freaking yes. me out. Please take the baby back. This is, but it was a cool experience. And then of course I, we, we went, uh, I went with a, a friend of mine who's uh, also in the industry and then we went to Hong Kong and he's, he's, been to Asia many, many times. And Hong Kong is more of like a cosmopolitan city, and that's also an amazing city. Um, Actually, at that time, it was the beginnings of the protests as Hong Kong was being turned back to mainland China with the hope in Hong Kong that the reintegration of Hong Kong into China would westernize mainland China. The rest of China. But the opposite happened. I'm sure. Yeah. So they began cracking down on civil rights. And I, I there's a, a hiking trail in Hong Kong up in the in the hills, the mountains called the Dragon's Back. And it's this cool hiking trail. So I wanted to do it. So there was a the leader of a, a little hike group that I was able to join was a lawyer, female lawyer, young female lawyer. And at the end, I wasn't really familiar with Hong Kong politics at the time. It was the beginning of really the unrest. And at the end of the hike, she's like, all right, well, I got to go do a protest. 
I'm like, what do you protest? What's that about? Just, just going there now. So, yeah. So <laughs> she uh, she explained to me what was going on. I was like, well, you know, you you're a lawyer. You got a, a license. Don't get yourself arrested because you know there's risk. I wonder whatever became of her. But obviously the news uh, and began to spread about as the protests went. And it got it got pretty crazy at one point. So um, and what so it was year, interesting what year was to be that? there. That was two thousand eight. Maybe okay. So yeah, not too long ago. Yeah, yeah. And I was in Bangkok, Thailand in 2013. That was also an experience. You know, oh, sure. That's just a crazy place. Stay away place from the, la- stay away from the lady boys. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, yeah, I don't judge. <laughs> no, but, I'm just saying. Know, that not, not not for me personally. The, but, the, you know, the, that's, the, that's the bars okay. I've heard. <laughs> yes, the bars are crazy. So, um, but yeah, it's been a it's been a cool uh, a cool ride. I love what I do, and um, and I've had. Uh, just a, a lot of fun cases, you know, going way back all the way. I represented the chemist in the Balco case, who's a friend of mine. Um, I've had a number of cases involving steroids, steroid trafficking, pro-hormones, SARMs, all across the country. I've been consulted on cases in other countries. Um, so it's it, it's fun stuff. Yeah. So uh, I got a question for you. I, I do want to touch on SARMs with you because I don't know if we really dove into SARMs the last okay. time you were on. Um, and I just kind of want to talk about legality wise and mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. just kind of stuff like that. But uh, how much more comfortable do you think your clients are being you are in the industry and you know bodybuilders and you're you're a tra- you train and you're in good shape and you've you've embraced the bodybuilding industry. So when they call you to represent them because something goes wrong, let's say. Right. They got they took steroids, they popped for it or something yeah. like that. And I'm I'm not saying that that's something that you do, but I'm just saying it, you're around it so you know it versus an attorney that has, you know, oh yeah, I practice this type of law and right. I can represent you potentially right. for your case, you know? So so I so I'll, I'll answer it this way. I sometimes get calls from clients who hired somebody else. They've hired a lawyer, a local lawyer. Maybe the case is in Georgia or the case is in you know Alabama or whatever. And so they hire that lawyer and they wind up calling me up and saying, listen, I got this lawyer. He doesn't know what I'm even talking about. You know, he's, he's like, you got to get off that stuff. You know, you're, yeah. you're going to kill yourself. You know, you're going to get roid rage. You're on the, the, you know, the narcotics and they're calling them narcotics and they're, they're treating it as if it's the same as crack or heroin. And they don't understand the mentality of a bodybuilder. They don't understand the difference in usage patterns, which is extremely important, particularly, you know, a, a guy can get charged with possession with intent to sell based on a volume in many state courts. So you get, let's say, a thousand tabs of Thai animal shipped to your house and it's intercepted by customs and they do what's called a controlled delivery, which means some federal agent gets dressed up to look like a package carrier. UPS. Whatever it is. (laughs) And knocks on the door and says, uh, Nikki, you know, uh, here's your package and uh, you take it. And you know, you take it in the house, and sometimes that is a trigger for the execution of an anticipatory search warrant, which then allows all the agents who have been hiding on in the neighborhood behind Casing cars, it. waiting for you to accept that package, for them all to rush the door, to go in, and to recover the package. Sometimes the package is 
um, made in a way or packaged in a way that either something gets on your hands that shows that you opened it or there's a triggering device that allows them to know that it's open. Sometimes that's the trigger for them to go in. In other cases, they it, the warrant just authorizes them to go in once you accept the package. And once it's in your hands and you've accepted it, the implication is that you intended to possess it. You could say, well, I, I don't know what was in it. I just, it was a package, so I took it. But yeah, that's probably enough for them to have probable cause to put you under arrest. So and and, and they and they they intercept the package and then they they do all the I don't want right. to say trickery, but they do all of the sure. tripwires and stuff like that and, to make and intricacies to make right. sure that you right. do open it and accept it. Correct. And then they deliver it. And then they deliver it. Yeah. Is this something where it, you see it in a case where someone just orders one, or is this mass ordering? You know, it depends. It depends on the jurisdiction. You know, I've seen, um, so So getting back to sort of what we're saying, let's say it's got a thousand tabs in it. You know, if you've got some, maybe. Here, pull, that, pull that back. If, yeah, you're if, good, you're good. Yeah, you're good. good. Yeah. If, if you have a, um, a particular jurisdiction that maybe doesn't have a lot of activity in it, and um, like the middle of nowhere, middle of nowhere, Utah, let's say. Yep, not a lot of other narcotics may be there, and they get a, th- a package of a thousand steroids in it. That uh, maybe customs says, "All right, we got this package." They call up the local police department and they say, "What do you want to do with it?" So the police say, "Ah, right, you know, we'll we'll make an arrest." So the local guys, not the feds, but the local guys, then do that delivery, and you then accept it. And you've got a prosecutor, agents, and others on the in the criminal justice equation who are unfamiliar with steroids, and they say it's got a thousand, a thousand tablets, and they're thinking of it like a thousand people hits of ecstasy, yeah. or a thousand packets of heroin. So suddenly, wow, this guy's gonna he must be dealing to the whole high school. You know, this is what's going on. So I've seen people charged with intent to sell violations based on what was really part of a cycle for people, you know? And so local lawyers typically don't understand that. I think a lot of, a lot of the clients don't feel comfortable with lawyers that they just have a feeling they're, they're being judgy about them. You know, it's ignorance, it's, it's judgmentalism. And so I think, you know, a, a lot of the clients will call me first and say, you were the o- you were the first one. You were the only one I was going to call, which is great. Others will come later and say, I wish I called you first. Now can you help me? Uh, and I do, and I work with lawyers across the country. It's a little stickier um, when they call you after. Well, sometimes certain, you know, the cow has left the barn. You got you to corral it back in, <laughs> which isn't as easy as, you know, preventing it from getting out in the first place. But But there's almost always something that I can do. And, and I look to help people. Um, and a lot of these clients will talk to me not only about their case, but will talk about the gym and benching yeah. and, you know, and diet issues. Just and, how we are. You know, and, and I can relate to them and they can relate to me in a way that makes them feel much more comfortable. It's, it's more like talking to a kindred spirit than people are intimidated by lawyers, I think, a lot of the time. And... Lawyers aren't well liked by a lot of people. I, I got to say, you know, um, I had I had a personal injury uh, case years ago. I got hit by a guy doing eighty from the side of my car. He t-boned my car. 
uh, and the intricacies intricacies of it was just shit because he was an illegal immigrant and he had no license and no insurance and the car was stolen and there was just a bunch of different things and I was dealing with just the wreckage of my car that I had just bought a couple of months earlier. It was my first car, my Audi that I saved up for and here I am with a totaled car and no money to buy something else. Insurance company dumped me and I go to my my mom's friend's attorney. Um, He was a personal injury attorney. Bongiorno. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I went to them and just, I remember just sitting in the room with them and I was just so, because I was 18 it's years old, 19 years yeah. old. I'm just so intimidated. I'm yeah. like, I got to go yeah. to court. I got to do this shit. Like, what is this? Right. Like, what's going on? I had no idea. Yeah. And I was just, I just remember just feeling just anxiety and, you know, you got to play the part. You got to go to PT. You right. got to do the the steps that they tell you right. to do. And you're just like, wow, this is like a lot of fucking work. And right. just the stress levels just kind of increase. So when you have somebody that kind of eases that stress and you feel comfortable with them and you know that they have your best intentions and best interests in mind, that's huge. Yes. Yeah. And and that I think has has resulted in my practice really, really growing is is the relationship that I have with clients. Plus, I try never to be outworked. I, I work harder than I, I fully believe in that. And, and I think any client that uh, that has ever worked with me will tell you that. And a lot of my clients were for other clients. But that's probably my main source of, of people's you got to hire Rick, you got to you got to Talk to Rick. It's the word of mouth. I mean, it is. It's, 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 it's a is, big community, but it's also a small community for just is. bodybuilding. It but sure then obviously is. you have all the other areas that you st- that you specialize yeah. in. Yeah. So you you deal with so many different people. But I think it's also important for lawyers to recognize that a lot of people are intimidated by them, and and I don't think that's necessarily fair. I, you know, lawyers get a bad rap that I, I don't think is is justified. But um, I think. It's incumbent on lawyers to go that extra step to to be real people, to 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 be a a, a a mensch, you know, to be an ordinary guy, you know, to to not try to you know intimidate people, to go you know, and I I I go very hard not to intimidate people, uh, particularly because people like us maybe are more intimidating, you know, based on what we bench and what, what we do in the gym and whatnot. Um, you know, I don't try to use my physicality in court to try to intimidate people. He, show, he, show, he shows a tricep every now and then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it's there. It's sort of like under the surface. It's implicit. That's mine you know? too right now. Yeah. And so to keep it more of like, Dormant. you know. <laughs> you eat a lot of ice cream. Oh, come on. A I lot of ice you. cream and a lot of sushi I see to keep you it hitting all under it at there. The gym. I see you at Bev's. Shout out to Bev's. Let's I see go. you there all the time. But um, but yeah, so um, but yeah, I, I love what I do. And um, and I love, you know, just the maybe there's a certain aspect to to being a, a trial lawyer. That's that's kind of the modern day gladiator in a way. You're not you're not using a sword. You're not, you know, in the sand. But it is a it's a battle. Um, whether it's a trial or it's even negotiating something to get it where you want it to be, it is strategy. It is it is thinking three steps ahead of your adversary. It is figuring out which choices are the best choices to make. And obviously, the more experience you have in going down that road and making those choices, the better you get at it. And it, it, the longer you do it, you can already, you can see instead of three steps ahead, five steps ahead, and then ultimately eight steps ahead. So I know from here where it's going to end up. And clients benefit from that as opposed to, I've had 
you know, clients who've called me, I've got this lawyer. Can you help him? He's never had a steroid case. <laughs> you know, and it's 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 I, not. I'd love to, but I, that's my that's you know, my job. <laughs> it, it, it's it's hard, and you know, I'll sometimes consult. You know, because I, I don't want to screw anybody over, and I try to help everybody. Yeah, you don't want to jack a client, but at the same but, time, it's like there's only so much I can do. But yeah, it, it sometimes the there's the options are fewer for uh, the further you get down the road. So. Yeah, I think I think you've you've done a very good job at humanizing it as well, as opposed to just you know another client, another thing. Because listen, attorneys work with so many people, right. and I and I find that the attorneys that I know, it's just like oh, well, I got this case, and I got this case, and I got this case, and like that's great, but right. you know these are people that are right. fighting for their lives sometimes, and you yeah. know I'm not saying that they don't care, but you, like you're saying, going that extra step to make them comfortable and just like we're in, you're in good hands. I'm going to I'm going to do the absolute most that I can do to help you out of this. Try to make every client feel like he or she is my only client. You know, I try to I'm super responsive and a lot of the clients, I bet there are some some past clients who are going to be watching this podcast and are going to say, "Oh yeah, there's Rick," because a lot of them past clients become my friends on social media. Yeah. They'll follow me on Instagram, Rick Collins ESQ, they'll follow me on Facebook, they'll, you know, um because we've taken a journey together and I've helped them through what is for many people the most or one of the most stressful times of their life. It's scary. You're I can only the, imagine. You're in the jaws of the criminal justice system. It's not a good place to be, state or God forbid, federal. You know, you're looking at you know problems. You're looking at a, a scary, scary um, position to be in. And so I'm sort of the guy who's there to to protect you, to walk you through this. I don't care. You could be 290 pounds of shredded beef. Now it's the federal government who's who's got you in its sights, and and you need protection. You need legal protection. And so uh, when that journey comes to its conclusion, and and you know the clients typically have a we've developed a bond from having gone that distance together that lasts. And and so I have clients that continue to interact with me years and years, in some cases decades, after their case was done because I was that part of their journey and they're appreciative that I played that role in their lives. And hopefully it's not a residual client on stuff like that. <laughs> hopefully they learned the lesson yeah, at least you know some, what? Uh, some, unless yeah. they were wrongly uh, accused. Yes, yeah. Because so, yeah. obviously there's that. Yes, yeah. And and that's a scary thing. I, I, I've said before that um, – there is nothing tougher for a lawyer than representing an absolutely innocent client because the system is designed to force people from arrest to arraignment to conferences to plea to sentence to, you know, that's, that's the system. And so if you've really got an innocent client, you're not, you're not going down that road. You're fighting Every step of that way, it's like a salmon swimming upstream. It is it is resistance, and everything is trying to force you back the other way. Um, I I don't think I told this story last time. And if anybody wants to hear more of sort of my background, we we covered it. Yeah, we for, covered in it that very two in depth. hour uh, you know podcast that we did eighteen months ago. Yeah. And um, it's on the voice. It's, it's it's for those listening because uh, I have a lot of listeners coming from TikTok as well that are okay. that are brand new that don't know me barely and they're they're just getting to know the people that are in my life and the the guests that I'm bringing on. So for anybody that wants to listen to that podcast, it's on the voice 
and Rizzles, R-I-Z-Z-L-E-S. It's on the Voice and Rizzles YouTube page, and that page is still up. And we have over 60 episodes of backdated other guests that we've had from the fitness industry to entrepreneurs to just every walk of life because that's really what we strove for on that show, and that's what I strive for on this show is just bringing people that have unbelievable experiences, whether positive, negative, whatever it might be, that can shed light for other people that are listening and that may have never experienced that. I had my buddy Brandon Stahl on a couple episodes ago. He's a sergeant in the uh, army, and he was talking about being over in Afghanistan and being a paratrooper and dealing with stuff like that and coming back and dealing with PTSD and depression and becoming a cop in Orlando and how he's just, he had to really fight some really bad demons coming back to American soil and uh, I want to get some more people on. Mad respect for for all of them. Yeah, guys. he was he's an unbelievable soul, and um, I want to get more people on that have some deep stories because once again, unless it's kind of like the transgender uh, co- conversation, unless you experience it yourself, you don't really know what these people go through and what what someone right. sitting across the table from you right. has experienced. So right. if they can sit there, shed light on it, and talk about it, that's huge because that could open up. XYZ's eyes and that can people open. need to hear it yeah you just want to hear it that's what and that's what this is for so right. voice and rizzles um, it's it's on the YouTube page and we have a lot of episodes on there and obviously awesome. Big Rick is on there so that's that's a phenomenal episode as well awesome. um, speaking about SARMs so I've heard inconsistencies on the legality of SARMs right so I don't know if you can shed light on that for us because I'm sure you've sure. dealt with that already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so I guess the, the short answer is, and I think some of the confusion comes, is that Congress has introduced a bill that would criminalize SARMs as controlled substances. So in other words, you would take all the, uh, you know, whatever, uh, Andarin, you Osterine know, is one Osterine, of them I've heard Andarine, of. all of them that are out there and make them into Schedule three controlled drugs like anabolic steroids, treating them the same as anabolic steroids. Same grouping. Same grouping. Okay. Schedule three, Five schedules federally. Schedule one, the most serious. Narcotics? Schedule one is marijuana, interestingly. Really? Because Schedule one means no medical purpose. And that's, that's what the whole problem is, right? Because if it was Schedule two, then federally you could have medical marijuana because it's Schedule one. There is no medical marijuana federally, so that's why the states are in violation of the federal. They're in violation, but they're doing it anyway. Correct. So yes, and so what, and, and the and the so federal kind of government kick, seems to be sort of like what kind of legal kickback is that know, then? It, Would the federal it's a government mess. technically there's, there's, go after the states? There's, then there's they apparently haven't, and and I don't think they will because you've got a majority of the country that now is in favor of legalization of marijuana, but it's just sort of taking its time to get there. But that's Schedule One. Schedule Two is cocaine and and other things. Schedule Three is steroids. Schedule Five is the lowest. So those are all controlled substances. It would put SARMs into Schedule Three. It's that hasn't passed. So because that hasn't passed, some people think, well, okay, then SARMs are not illegal because they're not controlled substances yet. Well, it's not quite that simple because if you're selling SARMs as a dietary supplement— so the supplements, let's just say a supplement store is just selling SARMs. They don't fit the definition of a dietary supplement in the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act. And because they don't fit that definition— you can't be selling it. It's a, it's an unapproved drug. So currently it's illegal to sell SARMs still. As a dietary supplement, yes. So how do you classify that then? Well, you can't sell it as a dietary supplement, and you can't sell it as a research chemical 
under circumstances that would make it clear that this isn't really for research, you know? Yeah. I mean, if you're- Research uh, on how much muscle you can put on. <laughs> right, yes. So the government doesn't really buy that. Yeah. So, um, so that puts SARMs into sort of an unapproved drug category. Some of them are being approved, um, but you can't sell a, a drug that's an approved drug unless you're a pharmacist, right? So, um, so they're in that category of drugs that are not allowed to be sold if they're not approved. So it's an unapproved drug. So introducing an unapproved drug into interstate commerce is a federal crime. So you've seen some people jammed up for SARMs, and that's why. And pro-hormones. And pro-hormones. And I represented more people on pro-hormones than anybody back in the day. Um, represented people all across the country. I had pro-hormone cases spread out everywhere. Um, the law changed in 2014 that made pro-hormones really lumped them in with other steroids that had been classified as controlled substances since 1990. So, um, so I do. I still get some of those cases here and there, um, but. Um, but yeah, I've, I've gotten a lot of interesting cases, both in the area of SARMs and the area of steroids. I had one case, you know, you said before, an innocent client. Innocent clients are, are, are tough, you know. So I, I wound up getting a call. I don't think I told you this story the last time we were talking. I got a call from a um, woman in the West, say what state, who calls me up and says, you got to help me. I need help. I'm charged with selling steroids. I didn't. I didn't sell any steroids. So I'm like, okay, uh, what are they saying you did? She goes, they're saying I sold one vial, one 10 cc vial of test for $100. I run a small personal training gym. It's for business people. I'm a competitive bodybuilder. I'm a female bodybuilder, a nationally ranked competitive female bodybuilder. I'm not saying I don't use steroids. But I don't, I'm, I'm telling not distributing. You, I would never sell a steroid. And I, the idea of selling a steroid, these are business people in my gym. I would never, never think about doing that. I said, okay, um, I'll try to help you. So I call up the prosecutor and I say, listen, I, this woman called me. She said, you're charging her with selling a, a vial of, of testosterone. And, um, and she's telling me she, she didn't do it. He goes, well, let me tell you what this case is about, okay? So I have a confidential informant who is working off his own case. And that's typically very often the way cases work. Somebody gets arrested for drugs and they sit down with the government, with their lawyer or with the state, and they point out other people and maybe they actually set up other people in order to work off their case. They cut a deal. Yeah. So yeah. he says, okay, so I've got this confidential informant. And what he did was he called up your client on the phone and he had a conversation with her where he asked her about setting up training lessons, personal training, asked her about some diet, and then asked, listen, if I come down, would you sell me a vial of testosterone? And she said, yeah, for $100. And what I'll do is I will hide it in a bottle of multivitamins when you come in tomorrow. That conversation, he says, was not recorded, but the confidential informant after that call called up the agent he was working with and said, hey, I got a live one. You know, that, that, that woman who runs the personal training facility, 
She's willing to sell me steroids, and she's going to hide it in a bottle of vitamins. She's going to do it tomorrow if I go down there. Agent says, let's do it. Yeah, go down. Let's do it. Here's what we're going to do. He meets the agent the next day. The agent does a pat down of him, which is standard procedure. The agent gives him— Is that to make sure that he doesn't already have something yes. on him? Yes. Okay. To make sure that he doesn't have, you know, a some vial already secreted on his person somewhere. Um, gives him the 100 bucks, wires him up so that the conversation that occurs inside the gym will be recorded, sends him into—lets him drive his own car to, you know, three blocks— to the personal training, waits out. The agent waits outside. Guy goes in, and a transaction occurs inside. the The prosecutor tells me the guy walks out, gives the agent a bottle. Inside the bottle is a multivitamin bottle. The agent opens up the bottle, looks inside, and there is the vial. a vial of testosterone, just like the guy said would happen, just like he said the day before. Okay. So now we've got her on that. Three weeks later, they conduct a search warrant of the prem- the house, the woman's house, where she lives with her powerlifter husband, and they find some steroids in the house. I'm sure. Not just okay. for her. It happens to be actually on his in his yeah. side of the bedroom. Nothing in her side of the bedroom. And the steroids don't match the vial that was inside the bottle, but... It's steroids. So the prosecutor says to me, so we got a problem here. So here's the problem. In this state, it's three strikes and you're out. The drug conversation on the phone the day before, the actual transaction itself, strike two, the drugs in the house, strike three. You put them together, she's got a 10-year prison term that she's looking at for one vial. One vial. He goes, no, look. I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to ruin her life. She pleads guilty to a felony, and I'll give her straight probation. She'll never do a day in jail. I call her up. I'm like, this is, you know, this is what, I'm just going to tell you what this guy is saying. And it was clear as day. It was her voice recorded on it. Yep. Okay. She says, I'm telling you, I'm not taking it. I will not. I will not plead guilty. I did not sell anything. I didn't sell a single vial. He is lying. I'm not. I'm not doing it. Absolutely not. So, this is where we are. Wall in a hard place. You're stuck right there. So You're like, okay. I said okay. Um, so I asked her some more questions to try to get a, a better sense of it. I'm like, so tell me. You know, I, I listened. You know, uh, I said to the prosecutor, send me the recording. Let me listen to the recording. So I get the recording and I listen to it and it's somewhat equivocal. You hear him say, they, they go in a room, he's asking about training, he's asking about diet. He, at some point he says, oh, do you have that bottle of multivitamins we talked oh, about? Oh, God. And she says, oh, yeah, yeah, here it is. And, you know, you hear ring up in the cash register, you know, and you you then hear some some other stuff rustling around. Um, there were two things that I was able to do that made the difference in that case. Number one is that that was a state where, unlike most states, you had the ability to depose the prosecution witnesses before they actually go to trial. So I call up the prosecutor. I'm like, listen, I want to depose the snitch and I want to depose your cop, your agent. 
Um, and to pose for those that don't know, meeting, sit down and, and, and meeting, sit down and have an interview just like like we're having um, to find out what, you know, what the case is about and find out what they did and to be able to cross examine them a little bit. So he says, OK, we set up a date. I fly out to that state, drive, you know, up into the mountains where this little town was um, the next, you know, I, I, I wind up. I got local counsel because it was a little tiny town. So I got a lawyer. That other lawyer, you know, apropos to what we were talking about before, um, spent most of the meeting the day before trying to convince her to take a plea. Plead guilty. You got to plead guilty. You got, no, I'm not plead. She's fighting. She's resisting all the way. She doesn't want to plead guilty. He's trying to make her plead guilty. I'm like, you know what? Don't plead guilty. Let's, let's, let's fight it. Let's see what happens. So we come in the next day. I talk to the prosecutor. The prosecutor says, I got bad news. I got bad news. What's the news? The snitch is not available today. He had a, an emergency and he, he can't come in. I'm like, you know, I just flew how, from New York. I mean, this is, is you know, this is not right. You know, you should. He's like, well, you know, um, I don't know what to tell you, but I, uh, you know, I could maybe get him available by phone. So I'm like, you, so I'm going to depose a witness by phone. This is th that's no. a crazy thing. He's like, well, your other choice is. I'll reschedule for a month from now, um, but the probation deal runs out next week. Yeah, of course it expires. Of course. So I've got so I've got to make a choice. So I make a, a bold choice, and the bold choice is you waited. Get no, I say get that guy on the phone. Oh, really? I say get the guy on the phone because I think I have, I think I've got enough to be able to knock this guy to give him a, a knockout punch because I'd listened to the tape. And the tape, you know, the, the recording has him going into the room with her, having that conversation, coming out, having a conversation at the counter where she gives him the bottle of multivitamins. His claim is it's 100 bucks. He says she never rang it up in the cash register. She actually gives me an advance. I had the cash register receipt time to when he's in there for $25, which was the cost of the multivitamins. So I, I've got him in a lie. So um, And I've got some other stuff. So I get him on the phone, and I start asking him. I'm like, okay, so you're, you're inside, and you know, you're claiming that she gave you a bottle of multivitamins, and inside it was these steroids. That's your claim. That's what you're telling us. Yes. Oh, yes. That's what she did. Okay. And so these drugs that she gave you, she didn't ring it up in the cash register, right? Well, no. I mean, nobody's ringing up a drug transaction in a cash register, right? <laughs> well, of course not. Of course not. Okay. Little does he know I've got the receipt that shows he's lying. Yeah. So then I said, so when you were done with this drug transaction, the first thing you did, of course, was to go outside and give this bottle to the agent. Right. Because you knew this was this was the evidence that you had collected. Right. This was the drugs. You didn't go somewhere else. Right. And he's like, no. Well, well I, I think I went to the bathroom. I'm like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. So you went to the bathroom before you did that before you gave this precious the the drugs to the agent, he goes, yeah, I had to go so bad. I had to go so bad. I'm like, number one or number two? He goes, number one. I'm like, okay. 
So your bladder is so engorged. It's, 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 it's exploding. It can't handle anymore. Couldn't handle another. So you had to now go to the bathroom before you give this evidence to the, to the police officer. Oh, yes, yes. And you took the bottle with you. Well, well, yeah. So you went into the bathroom, you closed the door, you locked the door, and it's just you and that bottle in the bathroom, right? Yes. What he didn't realize, knucklehead, was that the tape was running, the recording was going the whole time. You hear him go into the bathroom, you hear him lock the door, you hear him put his, his keys on the porcelain of the sink, you hear the rustling of cellophane. The wrapper, he opened it up. And you actually hear the sound of tablets hitting the toilet as he scoops out enough to be able to take wherever he had hidden, because the, the cop let him drive his own car, could have had that in the car. Yeah, I was going to say, he patted him down, but like, down, at the but same time, there's, no, him, there's no recording. Drive the car. And there's no recording of him Correct. watching him get patted down. And then lets him drive the car, yeah. you know. Genius. Puts it in there closes it up, and gives it to the cop. I confront him with this. He's like, what, what you don't hear? A single drop. Of urine. <laughs> no, Not one no, drop. No number two. Nothing. No urine. Nothing. Nothing. So I confront him with this, and there's silence. And he goes, I don't like the way this is going. I said, I could understand that. There's a name for it. He goes, really? I go, yeah, it's called perjury. It's what you've done. He's like, I, I think I want, to, I want to talk to my lawyer. I want to talk to my lawyer. I go, that'd probably be a good idea. He so hangs up that, the phone. Let me ask you this. Is that, is that conversation that you just had with him recorded? Yeah. Oh, nice. So hangs up the phone. The uh, prosecutor is sitting there white as a sheet. <laughs> he goes, um, would you take a misdemeanor? I said, okay, I'm going to tell you how this is going to go. Yeah, let's, let's explain. You're going to dismiss the charges against her completely, and I'm going to try to convince her not to sue you, the cop, and the entire police department and the DA's office for the travesty that you've just done here. He goes, I can live with that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I would assume <laughs> and so. And so we did. And so uh, that, was, uh, that was one where, you know, you save somebody's life, innocent client, um, scary as a, even as a lawyer, it's scary to have that responsibility. But she was adamant, and I believed her. I believed her from the very beginning, you know. And um, she's still one of my friends on social media, um, and and it's very cool. And you know, is always saying very nice things about me. And I, know, I, I wonder to, why to be right. But, <laughs> I wonder but why. To, you know, Save your life. It, it's it's you know, those are the things you look back on as you know. I'm sure doctors do it, you know, whatever it is, you know, you, you look back and you say, wow, what a difference I made in this person's life. What, what, a, what a gift for me to be able to have had that experience. Um, and so, yeah, so that's, you know, there, there are times I look back on my, on my career and hopefully there's more times ahead for it. Um, Plenty. Where, you know, you're like, wow, I, 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 this, was, this was really good. This was a really good thing. So now did anything happen to her husband? Was he prosecuted on anything? He wound up. He wound up. I think taking like a misdemeanor or something okay. for what was in the house, and it was like no big deal. Damn, and, he got yeah. pinched because of that. Yeah. Because of a bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Someone just making so, and up you know something what's up. scary is that you know he was just lying, and and what what he had done was, uh, I mean, think of the, 
think of the, I mean, he was a knucklehead on one level, but he was Machiavellian in another because he, he figured out what he would say, right? He worked out with her on the phone call for her to give him the bottle of multivitamins. He figured in advance what he would do. He told the cop how it was going to go, and then he conformed the transaction to be what the cop expected. Sick stuff. Yeah. And, you know, and he picked, you know, he picked somebody who was a competitive bodybuilder who, if we had gone in front of a jury. They're going to look at her and go, yeah, you. There's issues there. You look like you, know? you take stuff, so. There, there's going to be issues. There's going to be definite bias. It would have been a tough uh, jury selection process to to find jurors who would be able to separate their perception of of what she looked like with what the allegations were. And that, that's actually a good transition. Do you find that a lot in these cases that the perceived biases is what alters jurors' minds instantly, almost when they take a look at the person before they even hear a case? Yeah, you know, it's it's. I think that if if you look like you're, you know. 400 pounds of shredded beef, you know, and you're accused, it depends what you're accused of, but, you know, certainly, you know, I've represented a number of, of folks in, let's say, police departments or military, and some of them are, you know, very either, either power lifters or, but guys who, you know, a, a, a trier of fact might look at and make presumptions about and and that doesn't help you know you've got to try to separate that out you know yeah that was always a, that was always a question that, or something that I, I saw a lot so there's a lot of police officer and first first responders that are blatantly taking yeah because you can tell they're fitness influencers on the side as well right. and that was always my question it's like you look at this person and I know they get drug tested but you're looking at them and you're just like I mean they know you're taking stuff. So what is, you know, I've had people ask me that too, because some of these people I know, and they're like, so the department just lets him do that. And I go, I don't really know the answer. Well, there's, just, there's they, they therapeutic get, use exemptions, yeah. you know, for testosterone replacement. And, you know, some guys go in that route and other guys go with, with other things that may not show up in drug tests and things like that. Um, but, um, yeah, I've, I've had a number of cops and firefighters who've gotten jammed up. You know, I wound up doing a trial in the New York City trial room with a cop who they their position, um, the position from yeah, you could put, you could actually put, yeah, you could either shift over. I was going to tell you too. Yeah, it's yeah. a scissor arm, so you could always move it too. Yeah. So um, the city of New York had decided that this guy violated their policy against steroids and growth hormone for testing positive for clenbuterol. Okay. Okay. Clenbuterol is not a steroid. Clenbuterol is not a growth hormone. And correct me if I'm wrong, it's used for asthmatics, technically. It is, you know, yeah. So it's it's a drug that's not approved in the United States. It's used in other countries. Uh, we have albuterol, which is a very similar drug. Maybe it doesn't have the same thermogenic fat-burning effect. But um, but clenbuterol is a is a pharmaceutical drug in many countries that's used as a bronchodilator for people with asthma. And um, and but bodybuilders and fitness people will use it pre-contest typically to get leaner to, you know, lean out. And so um, he got tested and and unfortunately even though the policy was against steroids and growth hormone, the lab they sent it to did a standard 
doping test as if you were a, an athlete. So they t tested for all the sorts of things, including clenbuterol. And my position was he didn't fail because you know clenbuterol is not, not on the banned list. here. So what? Why? Why are we doing this? And I actually Could have been had a, maple syrup. It doesn't matter. So I had a conversation with the with the you know prosecutor, and I'm like you know. He's tested positive for clenbuterol. It's a asthma medication. It's not a steroid. I understand the theory, whether you agree with it or not. I understand the theory that steroids, you know, are associated, regardless of the the truth of it or not, with hyperviolent behavior, with roid rage, with maybe police brutality or something like that. And so I could I could understand at least some connection there, true or not. But nobody's beating somebody up for clenbuterol. I mean, it doesn't even make any sense. And it's not even a controlled substance. So uh, she said, well, we have a zero tolerance policy. So I'm like, well, zero tolerance against steroids and growth hormone. I get it. Great. She goes, but this isn't either of those. Yeah. She's like, yeah, but we have a zero tolerance policy. Yeah, but against – so it was just this circular conversation that ultimately resulted in me trying the case. So I wound up in in the full trial room of the police department calling witnesses, and I called up um, experts in, you know um, – Different issues and sports yeah, science. Yeah, in, in, and including in um, dietary supplement contamination cases uh, to be able to show that there have been cases. You know, Jessica Hardy, for one, Olympic swimmer who tested positive for clenbuterol, never took clenbuterol, took a dietary supplement. So I had all of the evidence, and ultimately we won in the trial room, which doesn't happen often. Most of those cases are convictions of the cops who go in there. So um, another, another client who is still on my social media and, you know, I would uh, be too. another good guy. Um, I'd have the post notifications on every time you post that. I'd have that, I'd have that, th that finger thumb up. I'd be like, yeah. oh my God, I can't do it fast enough for Rick. So, yeah, so it's it's um, it's been cool. It's been a, a very cool ride. On something like that, are they more annoyed or, not even annoyed, I guess I should say, are they more concerned with that they purchased an illegal like i know you said it's not an illegal substance but it's also not used in the u.s so it's like where did he get it yeah i mean that was their I, i'm sure that was in their minds um on the other hand there have been people in the u.s who've tested positive because they took a dietary supplement product that was contaminated with it and i and i was able to show a number of different cases of that. So, and is that uh, because of the actual substances that are in the dietary supplement, or is it because of where it's processed in a plant? Yeah. So, so there's a number of ways that that sports nutrition products, particularly, but but any dietary supplement can get contaminated. It can happen from the raw materials that come from China, because that's where all of these raw materials come from, uh, and they may be mislabeled. There may be you know contamination at that level. There could be cross contamination here in the U.S. At the at the manufacturing level, it could be mislabeling. I mean, there's a whole bunch of ways that it can happen. It's scary. Um, it, think it about is. it, and not it even is. in a legal standpoint, just yeah. in, a, in, a, in a consumption standpoint. I mean, look, you know, it goes all the way back to years ago. There was a, a, a Olympic um, swimmer named Kicker Wenzel who took a um, 
a multivitamin product and tested positive for steroids from a multivitamin. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's, you know, it's not the dog ate my homework either because he, they proof. actually tested a bottle of it, a sealed bottle, and yeah, it had steroids in it. So, so now was, um, that, was that a contamination across their entire line or is that just one bottle that just happened to could have, it, it could be just a single batch. It could be, it wouldn't be all the, everything, but a lack of cleaning the equipment like the DMAA. or things like that. Yeah. It's kind of like that thought process. Process where right. you know it, it, it's it's already in there, and we don't yep. know that ingredient's going to start popping, and then it's illegal, and we have to start right. taking things out. So it wound up that he wound up suing the manufacturer of the dietary supplement product. Got I think a a six hundred thousand dollar or some some kind of a settlement with them, and so. But um, but it happens. But it also it also puts him through hell for the time being. It, so. it, for an Olympic athlete, it could be the end of your career, depending on when it happens. And yeah, so really bad stuff. When you were talking about the uh, the association of just a mental craziness with steroids association, I I, I constantly think back to like the Chris Benoit. Right. That's yeah. that. That's the thought process that I go through. Right. And, when and I, I hear you know, that stuff, because I mean, I know. A lot of bodybuilders. Right. I know a lot of bodybuilders on steroids. Right. I also know a lot of bodybuilders that are extremely friendly. <laughs> right. Right. Year round when they're taking. That's right. High dosage, low doses. So it's you get that. I want to say classification of this is what's going to happen to you if you take it, right. and this is why we have to get it off the streets, and right. this is why it's horrible. And it's like I'm not disagreeing with certain legalities, which I kind of want you to touch on in terms of like your thought process on anabolic steroids and. Should they be illegal? Right. Should certain ones be illegal instead right. of others? But I feel like they always kind of point to those one-off cases because you don't hear about too many of them. Right. They point to one of those. That that's what's going to happen. Right. That's why we got to clean it right. up. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you know, anecdotal evidence is often the worst evidence because it's you know that that one-off becomes like the whole story, right? Statistics are a little bit better. Uh, there have been studies to try to figure out. Do some people respond poorly to anabolic steroids? Do they have hypermanic kinds of episodes? And there's a, a doctor up in Boston who's done a, an enormous amount of research. I don't agree with everything necessarily that, that his positions are, but his position is that there's probably 5% of the steroid-using population that have these sorts of psychiatric disturbances when they take typically large amounts. And dose is also super relevant, right? You know, it's like you could say that alcohol will kill. Well, yeah, if you drink a quart of scotch a night for a number of years, yeah. your liver's going to rot out, you're going to die, right? So, um, but if you drink a glass of wine a night with your dinner, you you can't equate those two, and you can't extrapolate the effects of the you know the the quart of scotch to the glass of wine. So most of the research that he's done ultimately suggests that typically under a gram a week, you really don't see much in the way of psychological issues. And that's at a all. gram of what? A, a gram a gram of total steroids, but yes, okay. yeah. So. A gram of, of total anabolic steroids, which typically for many people is a gram of test to start for some and then beyond that. So once you're getting up into those gram, two grams, three grams, you're going to see in a very small, again, it's a small population, probably 5% of the steroid using you know, community, uh, you'll see some hypermanic behavior, which can be expressed through 
aggressive behavior or hypomanic behavior. Roid rage. Or roid rage. And usually, even in that 5%, there's a segment of pre-existing mental illness, confluence with other drug use and other factors that make that even that 5%, probably less than 5%. The chances of somebody with no pre-existing mental issues whatsoever, not using other recreational drugs, you know, taking less than a gram of steroids a week, having a psychiatric issue is extremely Yeah, where, where's your control? Where's your control to see where, you know— the outliers versus somebody right. that has no pre-existing right. conditions. Right. You, know, you have to you have to be able to show these factors. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's very it's very hard. Now, obviously, there's there's also physical negative physical effects. You know, positive physical effects, negative. Everything's got got both. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, and and some people are more prone to gynecomastia than others. Some guys have to take an anti-estrogen or, you know, it's it's boob time, uh, <laughs> you know. Others can take massive amounts. Some get, you know, you've seen guys with back knee that's horrendous. You've seen other guys, you know, clear skin is, is as clear as a, a newborn baby, yeah. you know, on much higher doses. So, um, you know, obviously orals affect the liver in ways that injectables don't. So the guy who's taking massive amounts of orals is going to be stressing the hell out of his liver. Um, but but the media doesn't do us a service in this or almost any other any anything, other topic. anything to be honest. Let's let's this let's, is new media right here. It, right. Yes, this is new media, and this is this is better media. The legacy media really isn't doing us a lot of good um, when it says things like steroids cause liver problems. Because it's really only the oral steroids because of the C17 alkylation process that, that you know, makes them survive the first pass through the liver. Those are really the only ones that are having an effect on people's livers. So – and that, that kind of comes back to the idea that when the media tries to scare the public about something in ways that the public or at least the relevant population begins to suspect – is not true and that they're being hoodwinked to a degree sometimes it has a, a, a you know a rebound effect it, it's it actually makes it worse because there may be some truth to some of this stuff and and there is for example take a lot of oral steroids you can have a liver problem right but but when you just sort of dumb it down and and say things that really are too generalized or are ultimately true, ultimately untrue and can't be proven, that the relevant population then disbelieves everything that you say. You have no longer any credibility whatsoever. And some of that is a problem because some of the things may be true may, and may mm -hmm. be things to be careful about, you know, and so there's that backfire that occurs when, you know, the legacy media isn't truthful. If you remember back in the very beginning, the there was this concerted effort that the way that you could stop people from using anabolic steroids would be to convince them that they don't work. And so there were these 
published papers that came out from the sports medicine community, which were lapped up by the legacy media and spit out to the public. Steroids don't work. They don't increase. They don't improve athletic performance. Well, I guess if you measure athletic performance by hand-eye coordination or some factors, I guess you could you could torture that into some truth. But virtually anybody in the gyms at that time knew that that was complete nonsense. And so when they said they don't work and they can have these dangers, the response was to completely disbelieve all of it. But they do have dangers. Like, they do, yeah. Like any Just drug. Like you take a bottle of aspirin, you're not waking up. You know, you take one, your headache goes away. So every the get devil's hook, in get, the get dose. Hooked up on hooked up on Vicodins, and they gave you a couple because you fucked your knee up, and then all of a sudden— Could be very now, good, right. right. Now you're into uh, Vicodin popping Could be pills. very bad, right. So so yeah so so I think the the, the media definitely does a, a disservice and and that's why I think you now see a lot of people moving away from legacy media and moving toward the success of podcasts and you know uh, and new media just straight to the point kind of yeah. thing we're you know we're not the the new term and I don't know I don't know how new it is but I hear it a lot now especially with the COVID talk I hear the fear porn the constant yeah. like. Yeah. The fear, just like the steroids. Right. This is what's going to happen. Don't yep. don't leave your house. Right. Don't do this. Right. Don't do that. And right. then people, after a while, they just go, just shut up. You're just always selling an agenda. Right. And, and fear is often the agenda. And yeah. I've done, you know, um, I write a column for Muscular Development Magazine. I've been writing it for... Shout out to MD. Shout out to MD. Love that, Ron. Ron Harris and uh, my friend George uh, Tuliatos, uh, who has a column there, and, and you know, so many others. Um, and Steve Blackman, yep. but um, but I've been writing for them for twenty years, and uh, and I've done columns on so many different things, and I've done a few columns on this sort of culture of fear issue, that you know the way that the media uses fear and special interest groups use fear and martial fear as a currency, and the media is more than happy to take that currency. You know, the the old adage, you know, something in your refrigerator is killing you, film at 11, you know. And so you're now enticed to tune in and watch those soap commercials that are being, you know, sponsored by thousands, if not millions of dollars of corporate money. Um, and the new and the new way of doing that is clickbaits. Right. So clickbait That's somebody. Right. Uh, Nikki Rizzle said what to this professional <laughs> athlete, and it's like, what did yeah. he say? And then at the yeah. end of the video, I just said, "Sup?" Right? Like it's, it's no, and it's, it was yeah. nothing. And, yeah. and and they got the they Scary. got they got the view, they got yeah. the ad revenue from yep. you watching it because yep. you're just like, where does he say it? What's yeah. going on? And you sit yeah. there and you're waiting, waiting, waiting. It's like those um, it's like those ads, those ads where they have the drawing. Sit down because we're going to explain to you how ten steps into how to improve your life, right. and you're and, and you're never going to understand how you didn't know this before. Right. And when we get started, you're really going to love this. But before we get started, it's like, dude, just get to the point. But they're make they're drawing it out right. because they're making the Ugh. they're making you sit on that site, and they have a little ad in the top left corner that says increase your libido. <laughs> like, right, that's right. And that's what they're paying, and that's, what, that's who's paying them millions of dollars to have them just sit there and watch it. Right. So. It's that fear porn type yeah. uh, mentality yeah. that just I think people are starting to, thankfully, people are starting to just close out of their mindset. And I think that 
the sooner we do I that. I hope so. The, I mean, I, yeah. I, I haven't watched any news since this whole COVID stuff started. And it's not just yeah. because of COVID. It's getting political. Burning out. It's burning every, out. I just don't want to hear about burning anything. Yeah. You're, yeah. It's Everything's fucking negative. Yeah. The world is ending tomorrow. Yep. I'm tired of hearing about it. Yep. I talk to my people. I talk to amazing people every right. single week. I get to interact with my clients, shoot amazing videos, travel around, shoot with different companies. Unless an asteroid's coming right for us, nuke. Right. Don't. Don't don't talk to me. Leave me alone. Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> y'all are just going to keep doing what you're going to do anyway, and the numbers are just going to keep plummeting. And people are so afraid now to say anything because you say something wrong and you're canceled. That's you know, it. We're living in this crazy cancel culture. You know, um, even Arnold got canceled. You yeah. Know, uh, fairly recently. You know, and um, yeah, all well, the athletes were uprising and they yeah. were they were they were not agreeing with what he said. And no. listen, when it comes down to it. You're okay. It's a, it's okay to not agree with what someone says. Right. That that is part of you being a human being. I don't agree with everything everybody right. says. Doesn't mean I have to say anything about it. Right. I don't have to say something about everything. And it doesn't mean we have to cancel somebody. You know. Correct. Um, look for all the other know, accolades. I don't necessarily that, agree with what what he said. I don't either. Um, however, but I didn't I didn't rip know, my Arnold poster off my wall. Right. And, and and that I think is part of the problem is, is that you know suddenly somebody says something that that I don't agree with, that I don't like. And so decades of other things that that person has said that I do like, uh, maybe things that person did that I do like, maybe charitable endeavors that that person did, maybe maybe that person did all these good things, but that one statement, that one stupid statement that they make in a 10 now clip. in a 10-second clip that's probably out of context anyway is now, I, I need to cancel this, you know, Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Really? You know, and and it's I think there is a lot of that going on. You know, it's 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 virtue signaling on both sides, you know, and and that's not right. It's like, you know what? There's nobody listening, watching you, me, nobody who hasn't said something that they regret. There is nobody. And, it, and something that's stupid. And you look back on it and you're like, that was not the right thing to say. Yeah. And if that one stupid, asinine thing that we say becomes the basis for our entire lives being wiped out, and now you're just going to, I'm now canceled, I'm dead to, you know, I think it's time to sit, drop back and rethink ourselves as a culture because that's not a good place to be. Once again, we go back to the point of you can disagree with somebody. Just because you disagree with somebody, if you don't want to support that person anymore, that's fine. Sure. But like to blast it out in hopes that there are right. droves of people that are going to come and help yeah. you. And this isn't just for Arnold. No. This isn't just for any. This no, is just I'm like, talking generally. Is, yeah, this is. And I know I'm just saying yeah. in general, like this is just like if Chick-fil-A CEO comes out and says something and now they rally around. Right. Fuck Chick-fil-A. Let's yeah. get let's get let's burn yeah. him to the ground. It's like, yeah. really? It's yeah. like, you know. Just, yeah. maybe, maybe just yeah. don't buy a sandwich. The, the pitchfork. You know, the Twitterverse has become like these people oh with like you know, Bunch of keyboard you know, warriors. Keyboard warriors with torches. It's like the villagers who come storming with the torches. Yeah. you know, over the the, the slightest they, thing. The they sl play telephone. Right. You've used Susie the wrong, did what? Susie you've, did what? You know, you've used the wrong word, and now we're gonna you know come after you. Yeah. And yeah, it's just a very weird society. I think it's a I think it's a very uh, weak society in a lot of ways because. 
they're looking to be the next viral sensation when they cancel somebody. Right. I want to be at the forefront for me telling yeah. everyone to go fuck off with this guy. Well, I think you and get, now everyone joins you know, in. We're, we're actually giving points. I think you you get virtue signaling points by being the first to call out. Exactly. You know that I'm more virtuous than you. I found you use that word, and and you know you're now canceled, and I'm going to be the one who points it out, and it, it's almost like a. A modern day McCarthyism, you know, that's that's you know not not at all good. It's strange behavior. It, it's it's <laughs> yeah. that social. I'm I want to be the next sensation online yeah. where people see my video. That's why you see all these, and we're kind of we're kind of getting off topic, which I don't mind, and I I love because we can go into a million different ways because we're both well versed on a little bit of everything. <laughs> yes, but uh, it's like when when you see a woman get assaulted on the train and all the men just sitting there, like, sure. no, everyone's got their phone out instead. Because right. they want to record the assault, they don't want to actually Ugh. get their fucking hands dirty right. and and deal with something. And not, I'm not saying that you got to jump into right. someone else's problem, right. but at least have the courage to put the phone down, maybe call help, right. call for. If you're not going to get involved, why don't you call somebody instead? Instead, no, right. they will. You see a circle of phones, and who's going to upload it first, and who's going to get it to TikTok, and who's going to. It's like, guys, you just we're living in the society, like now, right. we're living in a actual tangible world. The digital world, although yep. great and you can become famous overnight, yeah. don't chase that shit. Be real, like be present. There are people that could be hurt and there are people that their livelihoods and their businesses and their legacies, like you just said, right. could be destroyed just because you were hoping that your yeah. video was going to be the one. Yep, yeah. Yeah, I think the more time we can spend in the real world and the less time we can spend in the, you know, the virtual digital world. The, the metaverse. Better. Yeah, the meta, <laughs> oh, meta, yeah. So, yeah, definitely. You know, I, I try to spend a lot of time. I mean, I, I obviously I'm active on social media like you are, um, but yeah. I try to spend as much time in the real world and I try to have real world experiences and real world, you know, uh, interactions with people. Um you know, I try to do things that are different. I think we talked a little bit. I'm a, I'm a licensed skydiver, so I've I've done a number of skydives. It's great stuff. Um, I've climbed some mountains with some of the ISSN guys and other stuff. Uh, did a couple of days hiking and, and camping in the Grand Canyon. You know, these are the, you know, there's a whole world out there. It's an amazing world. And, if, not, if, and, if, and, and people forget that. You it's know, in it, the, it's not in the keyboard. It's actually, you know. It's, and it's, they forget that it's in the United States, too. Right. They think they have to go to other countries. There's right. an amazing country that we live right. in that right. you only experience oh i'm gonna go to nashville and just go get shitty on 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 you know in the right. town was it it's right. not bourbon street that's that's it, new orleans it, yeah it's it's a broadway broadway that's what yeah. it is so i'm just gonna get shitty on broadway it's like yeah. well did you explore any else of right. tennessee and right. see any of the other areas because so like, i always try wherever i go i try to to have an experience of some kind that that you know so if i'm if i'm you know, in vegas we, we've done I've, I've done like the gun store there That's shooting cool. you know the the automatic weapons and just different stuff um i once i once was in detroit on a meeting and i had a, I had a layover for about 8 hours came in the day before so i had like an 8 hours to kill in detroit and so the question becomes what do you do in detroit if you've got like 8 hours to kill and so I had a a friend who um, is a female bodybuilder, uh, but also a police officer in Detroit. And she, uh, I call her up and I say, "Listen, uh, I'm coming to Detroit. I got a few hours to kill. Can you hook me up with a ride along?" Okay. She's like, "Yeah." 
I'm like, I know you're in like the worst precinct in Detroit, and Detroit is like the murder capital of the country. <laughs> Gary, so, Gary Indiana's so, next to it. <laughs> so if I'm gonna if I'm gonna be in Detroit and I got some time, uh, you know, it would be kind of cool to do a ride along. And I had done maybe some ride alongs when I was in the DA's office because I was a, a prosecutor before I did criminal defense work. Um, so uh, she goes, yeah. So she picks me up. We go to the precinct and. Um, she sits me down. I'm sitting on a bench. The captain comes out. He gives me a form. Of course, the form is the waiver form. So you're signing away whatever happens That's in this it. ride along. You know, lawyer. You know, I'm going to be looking at these pages. Okay, I, I get yeah, it. I know I what it is. I guess. You know, I, I want the experience. You know, and I want the experience in the worst, the worst precinct in, in Detroit. So comes back out, and somebody gives me a bulletproof vest that says police in big letters right across the front and a big black walkie-talkie like this big. So they go, okay, wait over there. Two people come out. One's an African-American guy, um, looks a little like Denzel Washington in Training Day. Okay. Uh, the so, other, you, so you're like, oh, no, please don't the, be like Denzel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and the other is this, you know, um, blonde female officer, you know, um, sturdy, strong-looking blonde female officer. And so um, the two of them say, come with us. So I walk outside. We get into the back. I, they open up the back door of a black Dodge, unmarked Dodge Charger. I get in the backseat passenger side. She's on the passenger side, uh, and he's on the driver's side. We start driving. So we're driving along. I'm sitting in the backseat. I'm trying to make some small talk. Crickets. Talk a little bit more, make some conversation. They're not interested. They're just... They, they, you know, so I get the sense. Okay, so I'm a lawyer, right? I'm uh, you know New York lawyer. Can't get worse than that here. <laughs> and so you know, look, look at look at he's you know homeboy's gonna think he wants to come on the ride along. Okay, all right, you know we're we're let's, just let's shake know, him. Let's shake him a little. Yeah, bit. they're probably not happy that they have to you know babysit me. You know, in this thing, so they don't really want to talk to me. So okay, so I'm just looking out the window. I'm I'm waiting. I'm hanging out, and um, we'll get into like the really bad area, which is all these little tiny little houses that, you know, some of them have no windows, some of them have no doors, some of them are stringing electric lines to, you know, steal the electric from the one house and, and poach it to the other houses on the block. There's people moving around as arc. Of course, everybody in the neighborhood knows this car. So as soon as it's coming down, people are shifting move, away, shifting away, turning their backs, you know, okay, I get it. So um, at this point, there's been no discussion about what this ride-along will entail. What is my role in it? Um, what are the limitations that are what imposed? Are, and why do I have a walkie-talkie? Why? What am I doing with this walkie-talkie? <laughs> and why do I have a bulletproof vest? You know. So uh, suddenly he stops the car. He gets out. She gets out. As she gets out, she pulls my door handle. So I assume, okay, that that means I'm supposed to get out of the car. So I get out of the car. And I look back, and he has the trunk of the car open. He slams the trunk. He turns, and he starts running up the block. She begins running after him. Now they're running away from the car. They're running away from where I am. And you're standing there by yourself now. So I'm standing there by the side of the car myself. And I'm looking around, and I'm like, you know, everybody knows who this car is. I've got police across the front of my... I'm unarmed. <laughs> All I've got is this walkie-talkie. And what's better? And I don't know where they're going. What's better? Do I chase after them or do I sit and be a potential target just right. sitting in the car by myself? That's right. 
Right. So I say, which is terrifying. <laughs> so I say, you know what? So I start. He's running. She's running. I'm running. So the three of us are running up the block. I have no idea where we're running. He's running. He's running. He's running. Suddenly, he makes a left turn and begins running up toward the steps of a house. And I see when he makes the turn that he's got a black cylinder about this big under his arm. She now has her gun out. And she now makes a turn, and she's running after him. I now, with my (laughs) walkie-talkie— I was about to say, I got my walkie-talkie out. (laughs) I now make the turn. So now the three of us, he runs up, he takes the black battering ram, he hits the front of the door, the door flies. He's in the house. She's in the house. I'm in the house. I'm in the house. (laughs) The three of us are now in the house. I have no idea what's in the house. So we we get in there, and it's absolutely true story just the way it happened. I'm now in the house. He goes to the left into like a dining room area. She goes to the right, and in the right is like this living room, and there's a couch. It's like a it's like a squatter's thing. It's you know, disarray, garbage, one couch, and on that couch is a body. And when we come in, the body comes alive. This this body starts screaming, and it's a woman. Crazy crackhead hair. And she's screaming at the top of her lungs, because I guess she didn't expect us to pay the visit that we did. So is this a warrant? So, so you, she's, keep going. <laughs> she's screaming, and so the female officer is trying to calm her down. The male officer is over in the dining room. So and I'm, you know, I was a bouncer for many years. I'm just in in complete, you know, mode. So I make a beeline to the back rooms to see who's in there, you yeah. know, see what's going on, and to secure the premises to oh, whatever it is. With, with your walkie-talkie. With my walkie-talkie. And your bulletproof You know vest. what? In, in, like in the back of my mind, I got to say, in the back of my mind, it, it seems surreal. It, it almost seemed like, you know, they can't really – this can't be real. They can't really – be subjecting me to 20 cartel members with machine guns, you know, Al Pacino in Scarface. Say hello just... to my little friend. I have like... a walkie-talkie. Don't, I can't say hi. Exactly. I mean, I did. Hopefully, there'd be body shots that I could, you know, because I had the vest. But but I, I couldn't believe that they would really do it. But yet, I was all in. I was all in. So I went to the back. There was no, Luckily, there was nobody back yeah, waiting there. waiting for you with a fucking shot off. Thank you know, God. Luckily, there's nobody there. So then I come back out. And as I come back out of the bedroom area, um, I see that the crackhead who had been on the couch is screaming and pointing at me, screaming and screaming. She didn't like me, didn't like anything about me, nothing about me. And I realized, so I now kind of drop back and I'm kind of, you know, staying behind the the wall and and watching, and what I come to realize is that she's a confidential informant, and that the officer had you know was she trusted the officer? Obviously, had some relationship. Didn't know who I was. Didn't trust me. Didn't want me part of hearing what this conversation was about. So um, so I wait. I let that conversation play out, and then the three of us leave. And um, so I, I get back in the car, and from that point on, and we wind up later arresting somebody, and the, the, it was just like a crazy, crazy experience. But from that point on, 
they were very nice to me. I'm sure they were. They it was like you this guy's know got balls. He just ran in with us. It was it was wonderful. You know, we we all got along. We had these nice conversations about you know our respective lives and what we do. And so the next day, my friend calls me up and she says, "So, what did you think?" I'm like, "It was it was unbelievable. It was this incredible experience." And I. I I got so into it, I probably did something stupid, but you know, I but I was I was all in, and I just I just had a great great experience, a great time. She's like, uh, "Oh yeah," I, I go, "Why? What what did they say?" Oh, they they wanted to know what you thought of it. I said, "Oh yeah." Well, I go, well, "What did they think?" They she said. They wanted to give you an experience you'd never forget. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, all right, I get it. So I hazing, this, hazing this the new was guy. This kind of staged. Yeah. I mean, that, that that woman probably was the victim of this. You know, <laughs> they, they, they surprised you, her. her. But but I, I think they wanted to see what I would do. You know, and I, I like you said before, I could have waited by the car. I could have waited outside the house. Probably the smarter thing to do, I guess. But but I, in the back of my mind, I just couldn't fathom that they would subject me to that level of risk. And I was like, you know, I'm in for a penny. I'm in for a pound. I was all in. and Both it, feet. It, yeah, right both, in. both feet. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah, it was a great time. I don't know if I have the balls to do a ride along. No? I don't know. Maybe at some point. Maybe uh, a little more seasoned in life and, yeah. I'm ready, and I'm ready to just go see some things. But um, yeah, I don't know. I got a lot of family as cops, and I hear a lot of yeah. crazy shit. Yeah, I, I hear state troopers. I hear yeah. New York City cops, even Suffolk. I mean, they deal with some crazy, yeah. crazy stuff. Well, we we talked about last time, you know, uh, and maybe we can we can end with this. Yeah, I was going to say because we're getting up there. We're man. an hour and a half. Again. Yeah, wow. So so we'll end with this, and, and that is that for a lot of police officers, the most dangerous thing that they can do is a car stop. Yeah. You know, that that's that's the danger. That's really the the greatest risk to a cop. And so um, you know, it makes sense that if if you are stopped by a cop, um keep your hands on the wheel, you know, don't get out of the car to start coming toward him with your hands in your pockets. Don't, you know, roll down the window so you can see what's in the car. Keep your hands on the steering wheel. I'm, you know, can I have a license and registration? Okay, it's in my pocket. Can I reach for it and do it that way? Um, we also talked about if you're drunk when that happens, yes. right? So, um, which is a bigger problem, certainly. Slightly. And, you know, obviously I do a lot of steroid cases now, but I also do some other cases. I'm actually representing one of the, the cases in Washington, D.C., one of the January 6th cases. Um, and I've done a lot of drunk driving defense cases. I prosecuted a lot of drunk driving cases back in the day. Um, in terms of drunk driving cases, what most people always ask is, so if I get stopped, I've had too many drinks, do I take the test? Should I take the breath, the breath test? And, and, and that's the, one of the main questions people ask. And the answer is, is not as clear cut as people would like it to be because I'll tell you when you don't take the test, if you've had two quarts of scotch, don't don't take the test if you're if you're capable of refusing at that point because the reading you're going to blow is so ridiculous that they're never going to give you a plea offer. If you've had a car accident, even if it's a one car accident, but especially if it's a two car accident, you maybe you've hurt somebody else. Maybe there's a another driver. It's not just a parked car. Don't take the test because they're not going to give you any kind of plea offer on it, and you're going to wind up having a breath reading that is going to give you both criminal and civil liability at a higher level. Um, if you've got prior drunk driving convictions, 
don't take the test because they're not. So basically, if there's any kind of aggravating factor like that, you're better off just not giving them any more information, making the case any stronger, because they're not going to give you a plea offer. If, on the other hand, it's your first time, you've only had a couple of drinks, there's no accident, there's no crazy, insane driving, you're not going the wrong way up a one-way street, you're better off taking the test because in most jurisdictions, and this isn't legal advice, and nothing I've said is legal advice, it's all legal information, the disclaimer that we end with, but, um, but generally, as a general rule, if it's a first-time offense and it's a low-level reading, they'll usually offer a non-criminal disposition. In New York, instead of a driving while intoxicated, it's a driving while impaired, which means you get no criminal conviction out of it. It's a lesser fine. It's a shorter period of suspension. And refusing to take the test in many jurisdictions is automatic revocation of your license. So the refusal alone has very serious consequences in terms of driving. So that's the that's the easy way to navigate. Aggravating factors, don't take the test. First time, low reading, not too bad, not terrible driving. You're better off taking the test. There you go. Well, listen, Rick, you're amazing. Listen. Thanks, brother. It was fun, man. Listen, dude, I love you. I, I could talk to you for... I know, no, three hours. We, we but just scratched the surface. We're but, gonna have yeah. you back on, obviously. Thanks, again, I'm gonna have Thank you come you, down man. again, and we'll talk about more stuff. I want to get more into the um, uh, steroids sure. side of things, and we'll we'll, we'll get we some questions. Deeper. We'll get some questions from people on TikTok, Instagram, stuff like that. And I think just once again, like Rick said, the disclaimer: it's not legal advice, but it's nice to know these particulars when and if you're, I guess, navigating these waters. Absolutely, and and there's a lot of that in that. That eighteen month ago, our, our yes. first uh, podcast, and and people can can watch that, and there's there's a lot on that topic there too. It's perfect. So you got a flight tomorrow? Yeah, I do. And you're going to enjoy that. So how can people I got to go home and pack? Man. Yes, yes. How I'm the same way. I pack last minute. How yeah. can people find you? What's your Instagram? I know you said earlier. But so it's Rick Collins ESQ. You can find me on on Instagram at uh, Rick Collins ESQ. You can find me on uh, Facebook. I have a, a public page at Rick Collins Online. Rick Collins Online on Facebook. Um, I am on Twitter at Rick Collins ESQ. And um, if you wanna, if you're interested in the steroid stuff, and you wanna kind of poke around a little bit, I have a website called SteroidLaw.com. SteroidLaw.com, and there's plenty of information there as well. And if you just Google me, I mean, I've done so many podcasts, I've written a lot, I've done some research. Uh, I was part of a, a, a team that did a lot of research into um, a surveying steroid use among American adults. So, um, so yeah, and so hit me up. Uh, Follow me on, on some of the social media pages. and You'll learn uh, a lot, too. Thanks, I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll learn a lot. So episode 15 of Rizology. Thank you, Rick Collins. Peace.